0: Hi everyone, um, I'm Barak. Hi everyone, I'm Rahul, um, and welcome to our knowledge video and podcast on ischemia, a continuation uh, uh, of the angina uh, knowledge video and podcast. Uh, this video is all about uh, an approach to acute chest pain. Um, and as you know, chest pain is a common topic to come up in uh, a clinical, the clinical scenario in the interview. Uh, And before we go on to talk a a bit of detail about it, a few things to consider when approaching this question. Uh, One, remembering that you're an ST4 cardiologist um, and recognizing that you need to answer a question at this level. Um, And the second point, and actually a common trap, uh, don't just focus on cardiac causes of chest pain, which you of course wouldn't do in real life, um, but in the context of an interview you might, um, and keep a kind of broad approach. Um, So prior to uh, demonstrating worked examples of questions which we will come onto, this video is all about just introducing specific knowledge um, that you should have a comfortable understanding of when approaching the question. And what we're going to do is first start off by talking a bit about definitions. Um, uh, So the first thing to, the first topic we'll talk about is acute myocardial infarction. Um, And that's defined as myocyte necrosis secondary to ischemia. And there's a universal definition of acute myocardial infarction which reflects this. Uh, And it can be split into two parts conceptually. Uh, The first part, which represents um, necrosis of myocytes, is a rise slash fall in a cardiac biomarker, most commonly troponin, with one value above the 99th percentile and the second aspect of this uh, definition uh, representing uh, ischemia is one of the following um, so firstly symptoms of ischemia or uh, ecg evidence of ischemia which might include new left bundle branch block st changes t wave changes or new pathological q waves transthoracic uh, echo evidence of ischemia such as regional wall motion abnormalities And finally, angiography evidence, such as an intracoronary thrombus. So you only need one of those four things um, to show evidence of um, ischemia, along with um, evidence of necrosis, which we discussed as a a change in a biomarker. So that's the definition of of an acute MI. Now, um, an acute MI can also be subclassified, and this is also very clinically relevant. So uh, there are five different types. The first type being a type 1 MI, and this is caused by an intracoronary plaque rupture causing an acute MI. And an important uh, kind of knowledge aspect related to this is that a troponin five times the upper limit of normal has a 90% positive predictive value for a type 1 MI. Uh, The second type, type 2, which is often clinically seen, is myocardial necrosis, secondary to a process, other than coronary plaque instability. And there are a whole host of causes, um, and this is not an exhaustive list, more common things you might see would include anemia, sepsis, coronary spasm, spontaneous coronary artery dissection, arrhythmias, hypoxia, and the list could go on. A type 3 MI is uh, death before diagnosis, Type 4 is myocardial necrosis secondary to PCI, and type 5 is myocardial necrosis secondary to a cabbage. Now, moving on from acute MI, uh, we'll move on to acute coronary syndromes. Um, Now, this is a range of conditions associated with myocardial ischemia, and they include unstable angina, non-ST elevation MI, and ST elevation MI. So focusing on unstable angina firstly, this is a syndrome of cardiac ischemia, but importantly, there are no death of cardiac myocytes characterized by a troponin release. A non-ST elevation MI is a syndrome of cardiac ischemia resulting in death of cardiac myocytes, which is reflected in a rise in troponin and associated with ECG changes, including ST depression, T-wave inversion, or pathological Q-wave. Finally, ST elevation, the ischemia, resulting in death of cardiac myocytes, resulting in a troponin release and ECG changes, which are specifically ST elevation or new left-bundle branch block. So that is uh, first a a recap of the definitions, uh, and we're going to now expand on those in more detail. Before we move on, Dalryk, anything to add?
1: Um, no, I think for these things, the definitions can sometimes, you sometimes think, why is, it, why is it so important to know all of these definitions? But the reason is, is because in the interviews and in the interview preparation we've done over the uh, past few years, we've seen far too often candidates get themselves mixed up about what is ACS, what represents ACS and not what is unstable angina versus an NSTEMI versus STEMI? And importantly, when to use the term, this is an acute myocardial infarction. Um, and so, as you say, I think the key take home messages here are acute myocardial infarction means death of myocytes. So, you therefore, by definition, have to have a positive drop and one of the other four. Um, and then, for the other important thing uh, to note in uh, ACS, is um, unstable angina is by definition, no death of cardiac myocytes. So therefore the trot is negative, but they've got symptoms of myocardial uh, myocardial ischemia um, rather than infarct. Ischemia means a supply, disbar- demand, uh, uh, mismatch, whereas infarct means damage and death of cardiac myocytes. So it's just really, really, really important uh, to know your definitions because cardiologists can be quite finicky and can get frustrated if using the wrong terms because they do mean particular things to us. Um, if you say someone's got unstable angina, uh, someone's got ACS, but it's unstable angina, means something very different in terms of how quickly the cath or how urgent the cath is versus someone who's got ACS, but uh, an end-stemi with particular types of ECG changes, which we'll talk about uh, soon. Um, and similarly, this subclassification classification of acute myocardial infarction, that is important because, you know, we can do, be doing a non, you can be asked a non uh type uh, clinical scenario, such as fast AF with a mildly positive troponin, And that would come down to uh, into the classification actually a type 2 MI, uh, where you do have um, a troponin positive troponin release, but it's not necessarily due to plaque rupture or classical um, uh, coron- coronary sim- syndrome. So it's, that's why these points, once you've got these definitions down in your head uh, and they're very clear to you, you'll start peppering your answers with these clear terms, which makes cardiologists realize that you know your stuff. So whilst you don't need to be going through exhaustively about like the type one, one to five uh, um, acute myocardial infarction or differences, being able to pepper your answer with, well, this looks like a type two am I, or this is the classic type one uh, myocardial infarction with XYZ. So. why these things are actually very important.
0: Fantastic, yeah. Um, So the next part of uh, this uh, section is about investigations of acute chest pain. So we'll start off by the first thing uh, which is the history Uh, and the aims here are principally to establish the nature of the pain and your diagnosis. And also uh, to ascertain if more acute and life-threatening causes are possible. And the big three in an acute scenario are always acute coronary syndrome, pulmonary embolism, and aortic dissection, where clearly more rapid action would be needed versus the kind of more stable chronic conditions. So in this section, we won't go into excessive detail, uh, but we'll discuss a few discriminating factors about, let's say, unstable chest pain following a Socrates approach method. Uh, so the first thing, sights, it's classically retrosternal, and it's around the size of a fist, classically. But of course, things aren't always black and white. Um, it's also uh, moving on the onset and time duration. So it's important to know when it started, um, especially considering when you might time blood tests, which we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, and it's important to discriminate if this, the chest pain has occurred at rest or on exertion, relieved by rest and also how long it's lasted. Um, and if, if chest pain is lasting for hours, actually this is more atypical of cardiac chest pain. Uh, moving on to the character, is it the crushing, pressure, squeezing nature suggestive of cardiac chest pain? Or is it one of your other differential diagnoses, for example, pleuritic chest pain or musculoskeletal chest pain, which of course one needs to keep an open mind about in an interview setting. A very good discriminating factor is does the chest pain radiate to the arm, neck or jaw? And related to associated symptoms, is there an autonomic response? Is the patient diaphoretic with the chest pain? In terms of alleviating or exacerbating factors, has the chest pain been relieved by rest? Or has the patient had GTN, which has relieved the pain? Or is it exacerbated by factors such as cold, exertion or postprandial? And of course, severity is also important to ascertain. In your history, to help you risk stratify this patient, it's also important to ask about vascular risk factors. And the big five are hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, smoking, and a significant family history. But they're also softer, but just as important factors, including their ethnicity. If there are significant comorbidities, such as chronic kidney disease, a high BMI. And this is all... uh, kind of revealed also through a thorough past medical history, which will be important to say that you have asked about and inquired about. Moving on to drug history, uh, it's important to take a thorough drug history, particularly uh, one would think about, for example, if they're on an uh, oral anticoagulant already, and that would be important to think about uh, down the line when thinking about management. Um, Also, it'd be important to ask if they have any allergies. So, for example, to contrast, if you're thinking about an angiogram, And then moving on to social history, uh, any uh, illicit drugs such as cocaine would be important to mention, Um, or if they're, for example, taking sildenafil, which would be relevant to uh, your management if you're going to give any nitrates. Uh, So that's the history. Before we move on, uh, Barak, anything else that you think that's important to think about?
1: No, uh, I think that's incredibly comprehensive. So I think obviously if you're into, you probably won't get as much time to go through each of those things. So you just need to think about the, know them all and think about the key things that you want to be bringing up in your chest pain history. So you might want to say something along the lines of, I take a broad approach, thinking about uh, cardiac and non-cardiac causes of chest pain, trying to ascertain uh, the various, uh, the history of this pain, whether it's happened before, whether a patient has symptoms of typical angina leading up to this, uh, and also getting an idea for the pain at the moment, uh, whether it's radiating, whether it's cardiac, um, whether it's radiating to the jaw or down the the shoulder, uh, retrosternal, fist-like, or there's other factors such as radiating through to the back, um, you know, pleuritic or pericarditic in nature. That would be a very fair gambit if you're talking about taking history in an interview setting. I think you raised one really nice point, and I think if you can bring this out, it really shows you a five out of five candidate. I think if if I'm assessing someone with, pain with ongoing pain at rest um and it's cardiac in nature i'm worried about uh acute, acute coronary syndrome and therefore i have to think about how likely it is that my troponin will, will be positive if the pain has only started uh, very recently in the last few hours then the troponin may not be positive yet and similarly if the pain has been going on for five or six days um, you know the ongoing pain suggests there might be uh, ongoing is- ischemia, but uh, the MI may have started uh, five or six days ago. So these are important things to think about. The timing of the pain tells you about your investigations and also tells you a bit about your management. If someone says, I had pain five or six days ago and it's kind of subsided now, they may have actually completed their infarct as well. So these are important things that a, uh, a registrar will be thinking about when they're assessing a patient, and the consultant will definitely be thinking about when they're thinking about the likelihood of this being acute coronary syndrome. Uh, and about whether uh, the timing of an uh, invest, uh, timing of treatment such as angiography.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks, Barry. The um, and I think uh, when you go on to look at worked examples in the next videos, that will give you a bit more of a flavour about how you would answer this in an interview, wow. uh, and you wouldn't include, of course, all the detail. Um, um, so yeah. So next, we'll move on to examination. Um, So in the case of acute chest pain, uh, one would typically assess someone in an A to E structured format. Um, Now, one of the key aims in your examination is also to consider differential diagnoses that might be masquerading as acute coronary syndrome and specifically a focused cardiorespiratory examination. What you'd be looking for are a complications um, if you are suspecting ACS, uh, and these might include evidence of decompensated heart failure, mechanical complications from an acute MI, such as a valvular rupture. Um, as mentioned, differential diagnoses. So, um, if a consideration is aortic dissection, you'd be checking for radial, radial, radial femoral delay. If you're thinking aortic stenosis, do they have that ejection systolic murmur? And also, you might think about practical aspects in your examination. So, what is the strength of their radial femoral pulses for access for a potential angiogram. And again, that's uh, putting these tidbits into your examination and relaying them show, demonstrates that you're being practical in how you're approaching this patient, uh, which again will uh, stick you out as a five out of five candidates. Um, anything else to add, uh, Barak, in, in the examination? Um,
1: no, actually, I think your point about the Uh, radial pulse and you know if it's a strong radial pulse that's a an indication that you might go radially if the patient needs an angiogram is a really good that's actually the only value there because it's a a real five out of five um point. The only other thing actually I've realized on history you might want to ask if you think about if they're on NOAC um, but also if they've got a bleeding history, if they've ever had specifically upper GI bleeds before uh because that's important when thinking about the how likely it is that they're going to be able to take dual antiplatelets, um, it might also guide the type of dual antiplatelets. Uh, and also, if they can't take dual antiplatelets, dual antiplatelets, it tells you more about what your management options are for ACS, yeah. because therefore stents might not be the appropriate thing for this patient if, they, if the risk is too high of bleeding. So uh, that's definitely an important thing I put into my history if I'm assessing if I've been given a patient who's in A with ongoing pain, because therefore. One of the things to think about is ACS and therefore, as we'll go on to next, is one of your treatment options. So, you need to think up bleeding history. Uh, so, yeah, that's the only thing that came, popped into my head. Yeah I, think,
0: uh, yeah, I think that's a really good discriminating factor, actually, um, for a good candidate. Um, okay, so next we talk about further investigations to help gain a more specific diagnosis that would supplement your history and examination. So, of course, a 12-lead ECG. And if there's any concern, practically, you'd place the patient on a cardiac monitor. Um, so with the 12-lead ECG, of course, you're looking for evidence of ischemia and a good candidate rather than just saying, I perform an ECG, would explain uh, potentially why and what they're looking for in a, in a succinct manner. So specifically looking for ischemic changes, ST or T-wave changes pathological Q waves, new left bundle branch block. And this will allow you to essentially risk stratify patients um, if you suspect ACS into unstable angina, non-ST elevation MI and, and ST elevation MI. And it will also give you information about the coronary territories that may be potentially affected. Now, a uh, there are some certain key ECGs that one needs to be aware of and be able to identify potentially in an interview scenario other than an ST elevation MI. Uh, the first one will be left main stem stenosis, and this is characterized by widespread ST depression and ST elevation and AVR. The second important one is Wellens syndrome, uh, which is characterized by critical proximal left anterior descending artery stenosis. And the ECG is classically uh, in V2 and V3 biphasic or deeply inverted T-waves, which can extend to V1 to v three, but classically in V1 to V2. And with that, a history of chest pain, which has resolved at the time of the ECG. Now, the third ECG that's important to identify is a posterior STEMI. Um, and it's potentially likely that these three uh, ECGs could come up in an interview. Uh, and specifically for a posterior STEMI, what you're looking for is ST depression and V1 to V3, hyperacute R waves, uh, which should really be more negative because they represent the right ventricle in the V1 to V3, and upright T waves. So that's the important ECGs uh, to, to be aware of. Baric, any other ECGs that uh, you think are worth mentioning?
1: No, it goes that saying that you should to recognise STEMIs uh, and also be able to classify them as per their coronary territory. Uh, so an inferior STEMI, uh, an anterior STEMI, an anterior lateral STEMI, um, and a posterior <clears throat> The reason we decided to include those three and particularly pay attention to them is because they're ones that have come up in the past and they're good ECGs that could be used to discriminate between a candidate who can look at the STEMI and see it bond or STEMI versus those that can know the other ischemic patterns. And they're also clinically very important. I remember I saw very early as an ST3, I got given a patient with an exercise test uh and the physiologist put the ECG on the one O's and they actually just had only some uh, uh ST elevation in AVR and mild ST depression. Um but the key was to recognise that and we had to admit them there and then from clinic because that's left main stem left main stenosis. Uh so yeah these are just key ECGs to those are the key troubling ECGs we found that candidates know but the other ones are just um very important to uh the other ones are equally important, but you should be able to recognise the STEMI and the uh, STEMI institutes fairly reasonably by the time having it to interview.
0: Yeah, and actually linked to that is how one describes ECGs in an interview, um, because that's also uh, an important point. Um, and the consensus from feedback from people that interview has been that uh, generally one may start by saying, um the most significant finding, but it's also important to uh, describe the ECG properly. Um, so uh, you may, for example, mention the rate and the rhythm, and then the, uh, the most significant finding. Um, would you agree, Barry? Is there? Yeah, I think that's exactly exactly what I do. So I think it's very important to very important,
1: and it's good to show the interviewer that you can very quickly tell someone whether it's a sinus rhythm or AF. So just get slick and quick at doing that. So you can say this patient's in science at a rate of 80, uh, but the most striking abnormality is they certainly won't interrupt you and move you on. But if you start, say, "Mm, pause, so this is an ECG of a gentleman taken at this particular time, (laughs) the rate is, they will move you on because these ECG, the interview, uh, especially the clinical stations, there's a lot to get through, a lot of marks uh, on the line, and they're just not going to waste your time with you doing all that kind of stuff. So rate and rhythm quickly, uh, and then move on to the, abnormalities uh, and then obviously the better candidates will then talk about what this means clinically and you know this patient has a well and zcg therefore this means x and this is what i would do next uh, so that's the kind of they you want to go into you don't want the interviewer to always have to prompt you okay so you've now identified this as a well industry what do you think you'd like to do next Yeah, you know, try and be one step ahead of them
0: yeah yeah precisely okay so getting back to the investigations, uh, we talked about an ECG, uh, next you'd supplement with blood tests. Um, and it's important to remember that a good candidate would describe why they're doing blood tests. Um, the basic blood tests that one would do would include a full blood counts, kidney function, liver function, clotting, inflammatory markers, including a CRP. Again, thinking about differentials of your chest pain. Um, one might also send off a, an arterial or, or venous blood gas, which would include a, a lactate. Uh, again, thinking about your differentials, a D-dimer, a BNP, thinking about your vascular risk factors, a hba one a cholesterol or a fasting lipids. And of course, we haven't forgot a troponin, um, which may need to be repeated as per your local policy with different algorithms existing to guide that um, timing of of repetition. So there's a zero and one, a zero and two, and a zero and three-hour algorithm, all validated by the European Society of Cardiology. Um, And on the topic of troponin, um, as I'm sure you're aware, this is a very sensitive but but less specific test. And there are many other uh, causes of the race troponin. And to briefly touch on this uh, aspect, um, cardiac causes may include a, a tachy or bradyarrhythmia, and inflammatory disease such as a myocarditis, heart failure itself, Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy, aortic dissection, and then kind of extra-cardiac causes. So musculoskeletal might include muscle breakdown, such as a rhabdomyolysis, respiratory causes such as a pulmonary embolism or a lower respiratory tract infection with a with a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, neurological causes such as a subarachnoid hemorrhage or an ischemic stroke, renal causes such as chronic kidney disease and and other general causes such as critical illness. So uh, being, and actually this relates back to the subclassification of an acute MI as as including type one and type two, being aware potentially of other causes of a raised troponin um, because that is again another potential question that could be asked um, in the scenario. Anything to add so far uh, to supplement that, Balric?
1: No, I think that's a really nice uh, rundown of troponin. I think troponin is something that people can get really, really hung up on uh, in interview answers. So it's important just to know your stuff with troponin. Um, and I think one thing to know is that was it all those causes you've given a race troponin, the vast majority of them are, the way I describe it is, things that cause physiological stress, uh, for example, like Sepsis and can cause a raised troponin. And the other smaller subsection is those patients that, uh, for whatever reason, underlying release a lot more troponin. Uh, so that's rhabdo patients that are, have released it from their muscle stores, or patients with HOCAM who have just much thicker ventricles, so release a far higher level of low level troponin. Uh, so our baseline troponin, yours and mine, if we're cardiovascularly uh, healthy. We have 0 to 14, but a Hokum patient may have a baseline troponin of 80 because they just are releasing more. And then finally CKD, is not necessarily because the, the heart's releasing more troponins because they're just not, the kidneys aren't clearing the troponin that quickly. So you do just have a higher plasma troponin. So it's important to get that w- well, well understood in your head because then when you're talking in an interview, you won't get hung up on troponin, does all troponin in this, does not troponin that. You want to have it clear in your head before you get to the clinical station. So when you're talking about troponin, you're never going to trip yourself up. Uh, and you don't need to know the algorithms inside out, but you know, if you do have a good knowledge of them, then when you come to interview, you can say, you know, a high-sensitive troponin assay means that this troponin may not be positive, uh, may not be po- positive until two hours, for example, uh, or it's not validated to uh, necessarily be positive until two hours. So I need to make sure that if a troponin is done within two hours, another one may need to be done you know, that would be a, a very fair answer. Um, uh, yeah. And then the other thing is using these, I think, the other point you should know, say using these are important because that's important when you think about the amount of contrast, you're going to give an angiogram. And again, that's the five out of five answer. And you can also get the history about whether they, they've got CKD, as you mentioned, uh, and they're based on creatinine. And secondly, if you're taking a patient to labs, uh, it's an easy win to say, I would gas every patient I'm taking to a lab. Uh, because you straight away find out there any other abnormalities you need to correct and how it gives you good, quick answers to how unwell a patient is. And I don't think there's much excuse for not doing a gas for any unwell patient.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair point. Okay. So getting back to our investigations, we've talked about an ECG blood tests next, a chest x-ray in, in, in someone with acute chest pain, again, thinking about your differentials and also complications. So with a differential point, you know, for example, do they have a wedge infarct or a pulmonary embolism? Do they have a widened mediastinum of an aortic dissection? Do they have a pneumothorax and so on? Thinking about your complications, is there evidence of decompensated heart failure? Um, and then following on from the chest x-ray, a trans echo. Uh, again, demonstrating that you are an SD4 cardiologist that w- would proceed with that when you're assessing chest pain. So you'd be looking, which would be important to explain, you'd be looking for things such as regional wall motion abnormalities, suggestive of coronary ischemia, uh, associated left ventricular uh, dysfunction, which is an important prognostic marker in ischemic chest pain. Uh, Again, you're thinking about mimics to chest pain. Do they have aortic stenosis? Do they have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Do they have mitral valve prolapse, other causes of chest pain? Um, do they again with your differentials? Do they ha- looking at the uh, aortic root? Do they have a, a, an aortic dissection? Do they have right heart strain consistent with the pulmonary embolism? Uh, so they are the key investigations that you would uh, initially do to work up someone with chest pain. Eric, um, any anything to add from that? I think that's a
1: yeah, you covered everything. Um, I think the echo, where way I'd probably, if I'm thinking about an in interview scenario how I describe the echo. You'd say I do an echo to, to investigate what I found clinically. i.e. regional wall motion abnormalities in the region uh, in the region of ischemia from the, from the ECG, uh, and then also I would think about other things uh, that would be really important to know before an angiogram, uh, before any, birth. any further invasive management. So that would be presence of aortic stenosis, other cardiac pathologies, uh, and if there are any complications from the MI, i.e., VSD, uh, ischemic MR. Or pericardial effusion, which are really important to know, uh, yeah. and and then, as you said, LV and aortic, uh, LV function, aortic stenosis, which will guide how you manage a patient during the uh, angiogram if that is what you're about to do next. Uh, so, these are that's might be how I structure it. It's really important to know everything we've all just said there because it's a uh, yeah, the echo is one of our most important tools, that I'm sure you're aware. Of.
0: Yeah, perfect. Um and you, you'll see a worked example of that uh in the in the subsequent videos. Um okay, so now we'll move on to the management.